You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon to everyone. I hope everybody had a good Memorial Day weekend. Uh, parts of it were kind of scary, uh, particularly for us here in Texas. We've been hammered by bad weather, and we had a tornado pass over our place a couple weeks ago and hit the little town of Ann, Texas, which is about 14 miles from us. But uh, in passing over, the tornado took out my greenhouse and took down a couple of big trees, and then another big tree fell on its own because of the, uh, the amount of rain we've had ground. And then on top of all that, we've got another tree that's leaning precariously towards our house, so we're going to have to have it taken down. And then we had, in South Texas, in uh, Central Texas, a lot of flooding, uh, a lot of tornadoes, uh, people missing, unfortunately. So keep the people of Texas and states like Oklahoma in your prayers, because uh, this may not be over yet. But also scary on Memorial Day was, uh, and I'm talking about on Monday, there were 10 threats made to airlines, to airplanes in the air. Uh, calls were received by the airlines saying that there were bombs on board or chemical weapons on board. All 10 planes had to land. In one case, uh, it was escorted by a by two U.S. fighter jets. The uh, plane was escorted to the ground, and nothing was found. But our transportation system, a part of it, was disrupted. That is an act of terrorism. Now, you won't hear Obama call it Islamic terrorism. He probably won't call it terrorism at all. He'll call it pranks. We're being lied to repeatedly about the threat that we're living under right now. We have the threat of ISIS. We have the threat of a wide-open southern border. We know that ISIS has cells in Mexico. We know that some of those people have crossed in the United States. We know that al-Qaeda has come across the United States. The Border Patrol is basically told not to detain anybody. If people come in who are wearing the gang tattoos from the Central American gangs, they can't be detained. They can, they're can they only sent wherever they want to go in the United States. So we have no immigration policy in this country other than to let anybody in who wants to come in. Now, just a few weeks ago, we had a terrorist attack in Garland, Texas, about 70 miles from where I live. It was on the free speech uh, meeting that Pam was conducting where the idea was to draw pictures or cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. And this was used as an excuse. Not that they need an excuse. Like, you know, acts of terrorism are committed by radical jihadists all the time. But this was used as an excuse to attack Americans. Now, fortunately, for the people who were at that meeting, and a couple of weeks ago on this show, I interviewed one of the eyewitnesses who was there. But fortunately for the people who were at that meeting, only one person was wounded. That was a private security guard who was received a fairly minor wound. He was shot in the ankle. And he's fully recovered now, as I understand it. But a police officer, Garland police officer, shot and killed the two terrorists. 
Now, it turns out, and this is what's, what's one of the things that's so worrisome here, is that one of the terrorists had been under FBI surveillance for several years. They knew he was connected to ISIS. They knew he was a supporter of ISIS. They knew he was looking for ways to commit acts of terrorism in this country. Somehow he and his friend or comrade managed to get semi-automatic weapons. Why wasn't this guy on the next list? Or where did he get the weapon? You know, obviously the idea of gun registration in this country wouldn't have prohibited kept him from getting it. If he's on the Knicks list, he was still able to get a weapon, probably off the streets. The fact of the matter is, not only did they get two semi-automatic weapons, they also got two armored vests, body armor. And that you cannot go buy online, you cannot go buy in a store, unless you are a member of the police departments or a member of the military. So how did they get a hold of this? And the FBI, it turned out, knew where they were heading, knew that they were planning to attack this meeting in Garland. Yet according to the Garland police, the FBI never told them a thing. They were not warned. They were out there because they suspected that something might happen. They were being prepared. The FBI says, oh, we told them about it. Well, the Garland police says they never told us a thing. So the Garland police were acting, operating blind. They did not know specifically who to look for, which they would have known if the FBI had told them. They did not know for sure that there was going to be an attack, but they there was an attack, they responded appropriately, and they stopped it. But this is just the beginning. What else is happening in this country? What is there that we don't know about? Something I've noticed that has got me concerned at this point is, remember the derailment last week of a train in Pennsylvania? The train on its way to Philadelphia, an Amtrak train, was derailed, and eight people died. Now, reports came out that the windshield of that train and possibly one or two others had been shattered by something, some object being thrown at it or possibly something being shot at it. The information came out and was reported by the media and then all of a sudden disappeared. The spokesman for the National Transportation Safety Board came forward and said, well, we don't think it was a gunshot. But we don't know. It's been over a week. They should have been able to figure out by now if this was a gunshot. If this train was fired at, then that's an act of terrorism, or very, very least, an act of vandalism, which led to murder. But nobody's talking about it anymore. The last I heard about the investigation was that they were looking into whether or not the engineer was texting at the time. My fear is that the American people are going to be kept in the dark by the Obama administration. That if an incident like this points towards a terrorist attack, particularly by radical Islam adherents, that'll be covered up by our government. That Americans are going to be left in the dark. 
We are not going to be provided with information that we might need to use to protect ourselves. And then on top of all this, we have Democrats in the United States Senate and the House of Representatives calling for us to accept 65,000 or more refugees from Syria. 65,000 Muslims from Syria who they want to let into this country and resettle in population centers in this country. They want to bring them in without any vetting whatsoever. No background checks, even if they were possible. No looking into whether or not these people have ever been involved with a terrorist organization, whether or not they are supporters of ISIS. Just bring them into the country, dump them on these cities, and start supplying them with all the wherewithal they need to live a life of leisure and commit acts of terrorism, if that's what they desire to do. Now, these 65,000 people, most of them are probably are not terrorists. Most of them are Muslims, because this is, this is what they're pushing to bring in. The Christians, basically, in these countries that are being slaughtered, there's no real effort by the Obama administration to protect them, and certainly not to bring them into this country. They're looking to protect the Muslims and to bring them into the country and basically give them free housing, free food, free medical care, free education, and take care of them. So they will have plenty of time, if they are, in fact, terrorists, to plan attacks. Plenty of time to orchestrate what they want to do. This 65,000 is in addition to several million others from countries like Somalia and Syria and Yemen that Obama is bringing in through the United Nations. These people, again, are being brought in. They're not being vetted. We don't know who they are. We don't know even know if the identities they're using are correct. Yet they're being dumped on the cities in our country. We have a president of the United States, supposedly. I don't consider him my president anymore. He considers himself the emperor of the world, not the president of the United States. But he took an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That basically entails him defending the people of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yet he seems to have no interest in defending us, defending the people of this country from radical jihadists. In fact, he doesn't even want to talk about them. He didn't want to say what's happening. He doesn't refer to ISIS as jihadists. He won't even say they're Muslims. We have the apologists coming out and saying, oh, well, ISIS has perverted the Muslim religion. No, ISIS claims to be following the true Muslim religion, which calls for the destruction of the infidels. Who are the infidels? We're the infidels. Anybody who is not a Muslim and does not follow Sharia law is an infidel. So what is supposed to happen to us infidels? We're either supposed to convert to radical Islam, or we're supposed to pay a tax if we don't convert, 
or we're supposed to be put to death. This is not just the tenets of ISIS. This is a Sharia law that has been called for by the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, what's the Muslim Brotherhood? Well, the Muslim Brotherhood is an organization that's been around for a number of years and is embraced by Obama. They were the ones that, that uh, had won the election in Egypt and were overthrown by the people of Egypt because of the imposition of Sharia law on the people that did not want it. They have called in their manifesto for all of the countries in the world to be forced to accept Sharia law as their only law. Yet we have members of the Muslim Brotherhood frequently visiting the White House. We have members of the Muslim Brotherhood in the Obama administration in appointed positions, including positions in the Department of Homeland Security. So are we prepared to defend ourselves? Well, I think the American people would like to be able to defend ourselves, but obviously Obama's not ready to defend us. So let's take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Let's talk some about the so-called war against ISIS that we are conducting. The city of Ramadi, which was taken from the jihadist, the cost of a lot of American lives back during the Iraq War. This was the radical Islamist controlled it. American soldiers and Marines died taking that city. It has now fallen to ISIS. And the American government, this particular Secretary of Defense, is saying, oh, well, it's not our fault. It's the Iraqis' fault. They, they refused to fight. Well, we don't know how good the Iraqis are. We did not leave a security force in there 
when Obama decided to pull out of Iraq, he would not agree to leave a security force in there that would help train the Iraqis and would help support them. So we don't have any boots on the ground. Now, supposedly we have some advisors in there now, but the problem is this. We don't know how good the Iraqi army is. We don't know if they just cut and ran the other day from Ramadi because supposedly they outnumbered the ISIS fighters by a large margin. But the Iraqis are claiming that the reason they did not go forward with the defense of Ramadi was that they couldn't get the air support that they've been promised by the United States. I'm afraid that's true. Here is what we've been doing. We have no we have no coherent strategy on defeating ISIS, either in Syria or Iraq or in the United States, for that matter. We have no coherent strategy. All Obama says is we're going to destroy them and degrade them by airstrikes. No boots on the ground. Well, if we have no boots on the ground, we have nobody that can help pinpoint where those airstrikes are supposed to be. According to the information I'm getting, in order to be effective against ISIS, in order to really do some damage to their leadership, to their infrastructure, to their vehicles, to their weapons, and to their troops, we need to be flying about 240 sorties a day. That's 240 airstrikes a day. On the average, we're flying about 24 a day. And some days, we're only flying a couple. And other days, we're not flying any. And ISIS continues to move. Now, apparently, while the ISIS troops were assaulting Ramadi, we were doing very little to attack them. And those planes that were being sent into the air, many of them were coming back and had not fired a shot or dropped a bomb. Why? Because they had no way to pinpoint their targets. They were flying over country where there was fighting going on, but they didn't know who was who. They didn't have anybody on the ground calling in an airstrike at a particular target. So under Obama's rules of engagement, they couldn't engage. You have to know who the enemy is before you start dropping bombs on them, and you have to know where they are. Well, people were not our people were not being told. We don't have anybody down there who can tell us, okay, we need an airstrike. There are troops moving around there. We need to have a strike. There were sandstorms in the area, and that originally was an excuse for not flying the airstrikes. But then the Air Force came out and said, no, we could have flown airstrikes. That was not a problem. The most telling point to me is the fact that after ISIS troops had taken Ramadi and driven the Iraqis away, they held parade. They paraded their vehicles and their troops through downtown Ramadi. Why didn't we hit them? Why didn't we launch airstrikes and go in there and wipe these guys out or at least do significant damage? Well, the reason is Obama doesn't want to do significant damage to them. 
I mean, the airstrikes that we are actually launching against ISIS have to be cleared. The targets have to be cleared through the White House. Most of the time, when we launch an airstrike, we are attacking empty buildings at night. We're attacking empty pickup trucks. We're not going after the ISIS leaders. Oh, yeah, there's been a claim, you know, that we got this leader, we got that leader, and then later on it turns out, well, we actually didn't get them, or maybe we got them, we don't know if we got them. So, bottom line is, our airstrikes, our strategy, or lack thereof, against ISIS is not working. They are getting stronger every day. They're getting more recruits every day. They're taking more territory every day. And they are threatening the stability of the entire Middle East. Obama's response to this is to ally us with the Iranians and their Shiite Muslim militias who are supposedly fighting alongside of the Iraqi forces. So all of a sudden we're allied with an enemy that that's promised to destroy us. Bring our country down. And then about a month from now, before the end of June, the President of the United States is going to make a treaty with Iran that, by all indications, is going to basically allow the Iranians to develop nuclear weapons. Supposedly they won't be able to develop them for 10 years. Actually, the timetable that I've gotten my sources is more like a year, maybe six months, before they have them. We're going to cancel all the sanctions. The president has, has promised that there will be inspections conducted to make sure that the Iranians are not doing anything to develop nuclear weapons. The Iranians have come out and said, Bull, you can inspect farms and that sort of thing, but you're not going to be able to inspect our military installations. We're not going to allow that. We're not going to be able to allow you to spec our underground installations. So the inspection, the Iranians already said they're not going to accept that. That doesn't seem to be deterring Obama. He's going to do it anyway. He's going to sign this treaty. He's going to sign this agreement. Some of it will probably be in secret. That seems to be the wherewithal of our federal government, including the House and Senate, or at least the Senate, is to do stuff in secret. So we're going to have a treaty signed that's going to basically give the Iranians everything they want. And Obama is not going to submit this treaty for ratification to the United States Senate, as required by the Constitution. And the Senate is accepting this. The Senate and the House basically passed a resolution saying, oh, well, you have to tell us what's in the treaty, and we have to consider it, and we have to vote on it within 60 days. Vote on how? Vote on what? Suppose they say, well, we don't want this treaty. This is a bad deal. And Obama goes ahead and does it anyway. What's going to stop them? And what happened to the two-thirds majority that's needed to ratify a treaty in the United States Senate? 
Now, all of a sudden, it's not a matter of ratifying a treaty. It's a matter of voting against something that Obama does, which basically carries no weight whatsoever. Whereas if it goes before the Senate and doesn't get two-thirds majority, it's dead. Obama is not legally allowed to enforce it. We don't know if he can enforce this new agreement or not. We don't know if he'll ignore whatever the Congress does or not. We have no idea what's going on here. The American people are once again being kept in the dark. What about this trade agreement? You know, this this trade agreement is being pushed by the Republicans in the United States Senate. <laughs> Excuse me. It's supposed to create American jobs. It's supposed to uh, help our economy. It's supposed to grow trade with Asian countries. Oh, that sounds great. It gives Obama fast-track authority to do all kinds of things. That sounds so great. We don't know what's in the treaty. The United States Senate, with a majority of Republicans, almost all Republicans, voting for it, passed this treaty without anybody outside of the United Senate knowing what was in it. Supposedly, the senators were allowed to read it in a private room, were not allowed to take notes, but weren't allowed to take the notes out of the room with them. They're not allowed to talk about it for national security reasons. Now, it's going to the House now. Are the same restrictions going to apply in the House? Remember Obamacare? Remember the whole schmeal there that we got? Well, well, Nancy Pelosi says we have to pass the treaty before, I mean, have to pass the bill, Obamacare, before we can read it and find out what's in it. This thing was basically done in the middle of the night. It was 2,700 pages long. Uh, nobody had read it. Nobody had been given the opportunity to read it, except the people that prepared it. And it was submitted and voted on by Democratic Congress uh, in virtually minutes with no real debate. The American people still are finding out, much to their chagrin, how badly this law is destroying our medical care in this country. I mean, we've got millions of people out there that have no insurance now. This was supposed to give everybody insurance, give everybody top-notch medical care. Not happening, folks. And now if the Supreme Court strikes down a major portion of the law, eight million more people will be without insurance on top of the millions that already have lost their insurance or are paying premiums much higher. Remember all the promises. All the promises. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Your insurance premiums are going to go down. If you like your insurance plan, you can keep your insurance plan, but at less cost to you. All of that has proven to be a lie. Now we're supposed to believe that giving the President of the United States fast-track authority to enter into trade agreements with people around the country. And by the way, what are one of the countries that they're considering entering in trade agreements with? 
North Vietnam. Well, actually, not North Vietnam anymore. I'm going back to my Vietnam War days when it was in North and South Vietnam. Not just Vietnam, the communist Vietnam. We're already trading massively with communist China and strengthening their economy. Now we're going to do the same with another communist country. And, of course, the president has got Cuba on the fast track, too. Uh, let's take our break now. We'll talk more about this in a minute. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So here we are racing. I say we, not me, but certainly not you. But our president is embracing communist dictatorships around the world embracing them to the point where he is basically going to give anything to Fidel and Rafael Castro that they want in order to get embassy there. He's going to allow foreign aid. He's going to allow uh, tourism. He's going to do whatever they want him to do. Why not force them to account for the POWs that they had control of in Vietnam? A lot of those people that we know are in control of the Cubans. You know, did you realize that? Did you realize that Vietnam was fighting against us in North Vietnam, that they had support troops there for the North Vietnamese? They had facilities where they were housing American prisoners, and they were the guards. And some of those prisoners have never been accounted for. Why isn't the President of the United States saying, hey, you want us to have put an embassy in your country, you account for those American prisoners. And how about the prisoners that are being held right now in Castro's jails? There's no discussion about getting them released before we give all these concessions to Cuba. There's no discussions with the Iranians about getting the Americans released over there, including a U.S. Marine, including a, a minister, Christian minister. 
There's a trial going on right now, a secret trial in Iran, where a journalist for the Washington Post is being tried in secret for so-called espionage. Where's the outcry? Why didn't Obama on national television saying this is an abomination? If you're going to try this person, you do it in the open so we can see what kind of evidence you supposedly have. And if there's no evidence there, we want him released immediately. And we want the other prisoners released immediately. And if you don't do it, there'll be no agreement. Then you're going to happen, folks. Obama doesn't care about American citizens, either individually or as a group. He only cares about those he can use and about those he can make into American citizens illegally by granting an illegal amnesty. We have 9 million that are going to be given amnesty or have been given amnesty. Now, we have a federal judge, a courageous federal judge in Texas, that said this is unconstitutional, this is illegal. He's issued an injunction to stop it. How has Obama responded to an injunction by federal court? The same way he over-responds to federal courts. I mean, the Supreme Court of the United States said the FCC had no authority to regulate the Internet. And Obama told the FCC, go ahead and regulate the Internet. Forget about what the court said. So we now have evidence being presented to this judge that the Obama administration had deliberately violated the court order and continued to fast-track the illegals to give them amnesty and fast-track them to get past the citizenship. Now, supposedly part of this was just an accident. Federal government says, oh, well, you know, that was an extended work permits that we issued uh, after the federal court order stopping us from doing it. Those were an accident. We didn't really mean to do that. That was a computer glitch. Boy, this government has a lot of computer glitches, doesn't it? Emails disappear. Servers disappear. I think I remember Obama saying something. He was running him up for office about this was his would be the most open and transparent administration in history. How's that working out for you, ladies and gentlemen? So we had a computer glitch in 2000. Extended work permits were issued. So are they being rescinded? No. They violated a federal court order. They supposedly it was done by accident. Yet not one of them, as far as I can tell, has been rescinded. We have the Department of Homeland Security, which is has one task, and that's to protect the United States of America and protect the people of this country. And they have been diverted, much of their resources and money and personnel have been diverted from defending our border, protecting us from terrorism. They have been diverted to fast-tracking the illegals granted amnesty by Obama, to fast-tracking them to citizenship. Why? Because we have an election coming up in 2016. Obama wants to make sure the Democrats win the presidency, if he himself even allows a new president to be elected, 
uh, but that's certainly up in the air. But we have the Senate in contention. He'd love to get back control of the Senate and the House, for that matter. So he wants these illegals fast-tracked, fast-tracked, so that they can be citizens, or at least, if they're not citizens, be able to masquerade as citizens and vote. They're going to be given Social Security numbers. They're going to be given driver's licenses, which is a basic requirement in most states for voting. You have to have a picture ID in some states, which the feds want outlawed, so they want everybody to be able to vote, even people who could just come in the country illegally. But they want to take this, these people, give them Social Security numbers, give them driver's licenses, and if possible, make them naturalized citizens by the time of the election. We're not talking about just 9 million. We're talking about potentially twice that many when you include the families of some of these people. So all of this is being done in order to influence the outcome of our election by using people from foreign countries. And we know that in 2008, Obama took a whole lot of money illegally from foreign donors. He did the same in 2012. Nobody ever did anything to him. He was never prosecuted. It's a violation of the law. Now we have Hillary Clinton... Turns out that while she was Secretary of State, her foundation, run by her and her, her husband and daughter, was getting millions of dollars in donations from countries that had were had, trying to get deals with the United States. And we're getting deals through the State Department. That's bribery. Yet nobody's really doing anything about that. I mean... We have criminals, active criminals, running our government, and nobody seems to be willing to do anything about it. And when I say nobody, I mean, look at the United States Senate. All of the hope that we had when the Senate became Republican-controlled, they were going to move to reverse the amnesty, the illegal amnesty by Obama. They were going to do something about Obamacare. They were going to stop Obama's executive orders. They were going to stop Obama from going after our guns. Nothing's happening. Nothing's been done on the amnesty front. Absolutely nothing. And indications are there will be nothing done. Because some of the Republicans there... U.S. Chamber of Commerce likes the idea of more coming in here, likes the idea of cheap labor. So the Republicans are not going to do anything. Meanwhile, the American people, are, many are losing their jobs to cheap labor. Nothing is happening. Now, when I say nothing, I'm talking broadly. Uh, fortunately, we do have some U.S. senators who are standing up and fighting for this country, uh, people like Rand Paul, 
and Chuck Grassley. And Chuck Grassley has initiated a full-scale investigation into the assault of the VA on the Second Amendment rights of veterans. And that is something that we are assisting in, the United States Justice Foundation. Uh, we're working with the chief investigator of the Senate Judiciary Committee that supplied with them with some information that we got as a result of our suit against the VA when they refused to respond to our Freedom of Information Act request. We've gotten very little information in response to our new Freedom of Information Act request against the VA, against the FBI, against the Department of Defense, and against the uh, Department of Homeland Security. Very little response. So ultimately, we may have to sue them. In the meantime, we're working with individual veterans on a lot of their cases. And fortunately, Chuck Grassley is stepping forward. Now, we hope that something will come out of this. We hope there might be some legislation. Grassley has uncovered that of all of the people that are on the NICS list, and remember the NICS list is the National Instant Criminal Background Checklist, and it is used to determine whether or not people are eligible to purchase firearms. The way you're put on the list as being ineligible is if you're a convicted felon, if you are known for abusing illegal drugs, or if you are adjudicated to be mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others. Senator Grassley's committee has uncovered that 99.3% of the people on the next list under the category of being mentally ill to the point of being a danger to themselves or others, 99.3% of those are veterans. After researching this and talking to veterans and looking at the letters and looking at the documents being sent out by the VA, we've come to the conclusion at the United States Justice Foundation that 99.9% of those veterans on that list under that category do not belong there. There has been no adjudication process. They have not been declared mentally ill after a hearing in front of a judge or an administrative judge. They're being declared mentally ill to the point of being a danger to themselves or others because they have minor PTSD, minor depression, but their spouses pay the family bills or have their bills paid automatically out of their checking accounts. Let's take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, 
taking the appropriate action, from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, we need to look at what's happening to our veterans and what's happening to the rest of the people in this country and what's about to happen. I've written a new article on my blog called Expanding the Assault, and you can go to michaelconnelly.jigsy, that's J-I-G-S-Y dot com, to read the article. You can also find it on usjf.net, which is the website of the United States Justice Foundation. The article has been posted there, and you can find a link there to my website, and on my website you can find a link to this radio show because I want you to encourage people to start listening in to what we're having to say here so other people can find out what's happening. But expanding the assault is an article about what we've talked about many times on this show, what's happening to veterans. They are receiving letters from the VA telling them that they can or are being declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs because of minor PTSD, because they also pay the family bills, because they might have been depressed at some time. I'm representing several veterans, including one right here in Texas, who, and I've got the paperwork. This is not something we're making up. A veteran who has been declared incompetent to handle his own financial affairs because he lets the bank pay his bills automatically out of an automated, on an automated system. That's the reason given. Now, here's a man who has never been examined by a psychiatrist, never been examined by a psychologist, who has never been adjudicated by a judge or administrative judge to be a danger to themselves or others. Yet he's been declared incompetent to handle his own financial affairs, and we have it under appeal. And he's been told by the VA that you can no longer own, purchase, transport, or possess firearms or ammunition. If you do, you're guilty of a felony. Now, we have Senator Chuck Grassley, who has said that he's determined that of the category of being mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others, and that's where these veterans are being classified by the FBI. Their names are being sent to them by the VA, and we know that because we have a uh, obtained through our Freedom of Information Act request and our subsequent suit. <laughs> Excuse me. We've obtained a document, an agreement between the VA and the FBI saying that the VA will send the names of veterans who were declared incompetent to the FBI, and the FBI will at that point declare them to be mentally ill to the point of being a danger to themselves or others, and we'll put their names on the next list. 
No adjudication as required by law. The FBI is not even asking for any proof from the VA. They don't even seem to care what criteria the VA are using. It's automatically happening to veterans. And it's happening on a daily basis. And we're representing these veterans. And I think something else is going to happen is that more and more of the veterans are being declared by the Department of Homeland Security to be the primary problem in this country when it comes to domestic terrorism, potential domestic terrorism. They're not talking about the lone wolves who have sworn allegiance to ISIS or al-Qaeda or some other form of radical Islam. They're talking about the veterans. And there's been a big to-do in the media as of yesterday in some parts of the media about the biker gang shootout, the outlaw biker gangs in Waco, Texas, who opened fire on each other and then flew the open fire on the police. Nine of them were killed, many others were wounded, and a lot of them were arrested. And they're saying that supposedly a Department of Justice uh, study determined that the biker gangs, the outlaw gangs, are made up mostly of military veterans who have friends who are members of the gangs that are in active military, they work for the Department of Defense, or they are in the National Guard, or the Reserves, and find these biker gangs with automatic weapons and hand grenades and C4 explosives. Well, if that's the case, and they know about all this, why hadn't anybody been arrested? Why hadn't that made the news? Who has determined that the outlaw bikers are all veterans? or even a majority of them are veterans. I don't know that. I know a lot of veterans who are in biker clubs, but they belong to the American Legion Riders, or they belong to the Patriot Guard. They go out and raise money for wounded warriors and their families. They go out and escort deceased military members or veterans to their final resting place. These are not outlaws. Just because they happen to ride motorcycles, and many Vietnam veterans do that, that doesn't make them outlaws. But I think that's where the focus is going to be shifted, or they're going to try to shift the focus away from the true terrorist, away from the radical jihadist, and shift to a situation where people are going to be looking over their shoulders for veterans and that gives them more excuses to disarm veterans and we know they're expanding their effort right now we know that because we're dealing with more and more cases and just recently i've learned and this is in my article again the article is called expanding the assault and you can go to to review the article read the article at www.michaelconnelly.com, or you can read it on the United States Justice Foundation website at usjf.net. And in that article, I talk about the fact that we have these veterans out there who are not even getting the letter from the VA. Now, normally, the VA would send out a letter, veteran 60 days which is, of course, a violation of the Fifth Constitution, the Due Process Clause, because that, the federal government must prove uh, somebody incompetent or prove them guilty of a crime. But the burden of proof on anything like that is on the federal government. If they're on property, 
of any American citizen. But what they're doing is they're giving the veterans 60 days in which to prove themselves competent at their own expense. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then the, the veteran is told that they can appeal. But they're also being told if they do appeal, their, their benefits will be suspended uh, during the course of the appeal. And so they can't feed their families, so it's extortion, blackmail. Yet, veterans are fighting. They're trying to fight back. And we are fighting back on their behalf. But now veterans are not even getting the letters. Talked to some of them just the other day. They're not even getting a letter. They're going to try to buy a firearm legally. They're being turned down after they fill out the form. And they're not being told why. But finally, one of them, his wife, contacts the VA and says, why has this happened? And he says, well, he's probably been declared incompetent by the VA. And then she's told, and by the way, if he's been declared incompetent and put on the next list, you've also been put on the next list because you're married to him. And any children that live with you are also on the next list because they live with a veteran who's been declared incompetent. Now, they've taken this incompetency business, and they're deciding that because you've been declared incompetent to handle your own financial affairs, because of minor PTSD, minor depression, because you let your spouses pay the family bills, or you have your bills paid automatically out of your checking account, because you've been declared incompetent, we are going to put you on that next list. And you cannot own a firearm. And your families can't own firearms. And we're not even going to tell you you're on the list. Now, if you do appeal as a veteran and you win, the FBI, you go to the FBI and say, look, take me off the list. Um, the VA has determined that I am not incompetent. The FBI is going to ignore you. And they're going to keep you on the list. So that's another area where we're having to fight for the veterans. Now, who's going to be next? Because <laughs> let me tell you something else that just we found out. Here, the veterans are supposedly mentally defective to the point of being a danger to themselves or others. And have been adjudicated to that. Well, that's not the way it's being done. The veterans are not being adjudicated to be mentally ill. There's no adjudication process at all. As I pointed out, it's being done by a bureaucrat. But they're being put on the list. And they're classified a mental illness. Because to be on the next list, you have to either be a convicted felon or be a known abuser of illegal drugs or be declared mentally ill upon being a danger to yourself or others. That's the category they're using for the veterans. To the point where Senator Chuck Grassley and his Senate Judiciary Committee have determined that of the people on the next list, under the category of being mentally ill, 99.3% of them are veterans. Now, we've determined that none of them, 99.9% .9 of the veterans that are on the list of the category don't belong there. They've never been adjudicated to be mentally ill, but they're not mentally ill, and they don't belong on that list. So that's what we're looking at here. Veterans have been being told, though, well, you're mentally ill, you're a danger to yourself or others, you can't be allowed to own a firearm, but we'll sell you back your rights 
despite the fact that it's dangerous. We will give you back your Second Amendment rights. All you have to do is surrender your benefits, your VA benefits. Give us back your checks, and we'll let you off the hook. Number one, that's extortion. Number two, what happens to the money once the VA or gets their hands on it, or somebody in the VA gets their hands on it? We've already uncovered cases where veterans' benefits are being stolen by VA employees or former employees. But you see where they're going here. If they can tell a veteran, if you give up your money, your benefits, we'll give you back your gun rights, how long before they're telling senior citizens, okay, we've declared you incompetent to handle your own financial affairs, you're on the next list, but give up your Social Security, give up your Medicare benefits, and we'll give you back your gun rights. Ladies and gentlemen, we need help at the United States Justice Foundation. We're spending a lot of money on these individual cases. We're spending a lot of money on Freedom of Information Act requests. We're not charging these veterans or their families a penny. Please go to usjf.net. It's usjf.net and send us a contribution. Find out how to do it. You can also read my articles there. If you want to read more of my blog, you can go to Michael Connolly, C-O-N-N-E-L-O-Y.jigsy.com. And you can read about my article, about, read my articles. You read about the books I've written, including the book of our Constitution, where I take each article, each section, each amendment of the Constitution, put them in the way they were originally written, and then add my comments. You can also find out how to order copies of The Mortarman and my book about my dad's unit during World War II has become a big seller. My patriotic novel, on the Alien Story of America. All of those are those two, by the way, are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as ebooks, as well as go to my website at Michael Connolly, C O N N E L Read my blog. Look at the books that I've written. Order a copy of our Constitution. You can order that through www.constitution.gz.com, and you can order multiple copies. And thank you for listening to me, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.